We are going to be reading out of John, the Gospel according to John, chapter 21. Continuing along the chronological life of Jesus, he has now died, risen from the dead, and this is his third appearance to the apostles. There was one appearance where he appeared to, to ten of the eleven of them, uh, and, and uh, uh, all were there except, um, except Thomas. Then he appeared again to all eleven of them, and that was with Thomas being present. And, uh, and both of those followed, actually, his individual appearance to Peter. But now we're going to be talking about now his third appearance to a group of them, and there's seven of them in this appearance. So this is in John chapter 21. This is during the 40-day period in which Jesus has risen from the dead, but not ascended into heaven. So he was on earth for 40 days after his physical resurrection. John chapter 21, reading from verse 1. And after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Canaan Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and, the, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will also come with you. They went out and got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So they said to them, so he said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right hand side of the boat and you will find a cat, a catch. So they cast and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little, in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid, and fish placed on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have now caught, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153, and, he, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Okay, so what we see here is that it says that Jesus, in verse 1, manifested himself to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Sea of Tiberias is another name for the Sea of Galilee. Or, or uh, uh, there, there are also two other names used in scriptures for that sea, at least two other names used in the New Testament. But Tiberias and Galilee are the same sea, and that's about uh, eight miles from Nazareth where Jesus grew up. And so Jesus was familiar with that area. A lot of his ministry was right around the Sea of Galilee in that area. And he had told them, you recall, multiple times, they had been told at least three times that they were to go to Galilee and to wait for him. And finally they go up to Galilee. So now they're waiting in Galilee to find out, you know, what, what have they been sent to Galilee for? And it says that he manifested himself. So he revealed himself to them in this way. And we read last week in Mark how he walked with two on the road to Emmaus but he had not disclosed himself because he was in another form and then all of a sudden he disclosed himself to them. So he has the ability to come in a form that they do not recognize and then all of a sudden open their eyes or manifest his form so that they now recognize him as Jesus. 
It says, Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee. Sons of Zebedee were James and John and two others. So there were seven altogether. There were seven fishermen among this group of, of what had originally been 12 disciples. Seven of them were fishermen. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will also come with you. Now, this is not just a small thing like we're going to go fishing just to pass the time. Fishermen is what they were before Jesus called them. And Jesus had called them and said, asked them to lay down their work and to follow him. In fact, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. But you see, in giving up their work to follow him, and it was Peter who had pointed out to him earlier, what about us who have left everything to follow you? And Jesus said, well, don't worry, I'll take care of you. There are great things for you in store. But it turns out that Peter never got rid of his boat. He still had his way to go back to fishing. When he said, I'm going fishing, this means that he has this feeling like, well, we're sitting around here waiting. We don't know exactly how, how many days that they had been waiting, but he said, I'm going fishing. He felt as if he had to go back to his own work. This was not for his daily sustenance because they still had the money box, which which uh, many people had contributed to Jesus' ministry. It talks about that in Luke chapter 8. Among them were, were, were many wealthy women who would, uh, uh, who would uh, uh, contribute to that. So they still had this money box, but he is turning back to his own work. So this is not for their daily sustenance, but they feel that they have to go back to fishing. They have to get in a boat and really try to catch a lot more fish than just for that, that day's meal. They're catching fish to now sell them going back to being fishermen. You see the influence of Peter. Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the rest of them said, we'll go with you. And so they went out and they went fishing and they they were now a bit rusty after three and a half years of not doing it. They fished all night and they caught nothing. You know, God does this sometimes where He'll put us in a position where we don't reap in a particular endeavor, because he's redirecting our paths. Watchman Nee says, never think yourself so spiritual as to think that you don't need to be led by circumstances. Joseph and Mary were up in Nazareth. Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. They had no plans of going down to Bethlehem. So Caesar proclaims that there's going to be a census. And in that census, everybody had to return to the hometown in which their family came from. That drew Joseph and Mary from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. And then Jesus was born exactly where the scripture said he would be born in Bethlehem. How did God get them there? Through the declaration that there will be a census. And if you disobeyed Caesar in his declaration, you would die. Well, I guess we're going to Bethlehem. And she's probably like, did you know I'm about to have a baby? I mean, this is the worst timing. I kind of feel sorry for Joseph on that journey. But in any case, that, that uh, uh, they used circumstances to get them, God used circumstances to get them down there. They tried to catch fish and they were unable to. Not even one. Remember, these are fishermen and it's not just with a fishing rod. They're casting nets all night. It's, it's common practice for fishermen to work in the night when, when it's not as hot and the sun is not keeping the water too hot. So, so, uh, uh, but they caught nothing. But when day was now breaking, so the sun was just coming up, 
It says that they were about a hundred yards from the shore. Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So they could see this figure on the beach. They didn't know who it was. And he says to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? It's an interesting thing. He calls them children. He's about the same age as these guys, maybe a little bit older, but about the same age, but he's calling them children. So we don't know exactly the form that he took, but he took a form where he's now calling out to them. And if you've ever been by the water, especially early in the morning before the sun has come up, when it's a little foggy, sound carries extremely well. You can hear a conversation 100 yards away when you're on the water when it, when, before the sun has come up in that moist air. And so, so uh, Jesus shouts out to them, children, you do, you do not have any fish, do you? Maybe they thought he was one of the buyers for the marketplace, that he needs to buy a bunch of fish to the marketplace. <clears throat> and they answered him, no. They didn't know who it was. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat and you will find a catch. Now think about this. They had been fishing all night. And why would they throw the net on the side of the boat? They still didn't know yet that it was Jesus. Why would they listen to this man? And the only thing that I can think of is that sometimes when you have a different angle on the water, you can see what might be happening on the surface of the water. And so my dad had a boat when we were growing up, and there were sometimes that you could see fish moving just on the top of the water if you had the, the proper angle. And so maybe they thought because of the angle that he was that he saw some stirring in the water or something. But anyway, they threw the net. They threw the net again and they cast it on the right side of the boat and says they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. And further on down it says there were 153 large fish. 153 large fish. That's what it says in, uh, um, in, in verse... 11, Simon Peter went up, it says, so when they got out to the land, they saw the charcoal fire. And then in verse 11, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Many people have tried to come up with what's the meaning of 153. I remember there was a time there were 153 member nations in, in the United Nations. And they thought it had, now it's no longer that. So, so the, the point here is that John is making is that there were 153 large fish. You don't get schools of just large fish. You get big fish, medium-sized fish, and little fish. That's what you get out of fish. But Jesus commanded the medium and the little ones to move away. Just the large fish right there. 153 large fish. So let, let's say that they're three pounds or four pounds. So you've got... You've got uh, uh, about five or six hundred pounds of fish in that net. Now remember, they didn't have Kevlar, they didn't have nylon, and they were. And it says that this net didn't break, but they never lifted the net into the boat. It says they just dragged the net. They weren't far from the land, so they just pulled the net behind them. They weren't going to try to lift this. Five hundred pounds lifting out of the water is very hard to do, and you probably flip that little boat. There was earlier on in the Gospels, they had, when Jesus had done this before, they had to call another boat to help them. And so here they're just pulling it over to the water. And the amazing thing here is it was 153 large fish and the net was not torn. That's what he points out. But that's what he says. He says, cast your net on the right-hand side of the boat 
And so they cast and they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. It was too much for them to be able to lift up. You got 500 pounds of, uh, of weight there. So seven, in verse 7, Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, the disciple whom Jesus loved is spoken about many times in the Gospel according to John, and that's John, the writer of this Gospel. This is not John the Baptist. John the Baptist has died, died two years ago, but uh, he was beheaded. But this is John, the disciple John, and this is the one who, 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 uh, who was referred to that Jesus loved. And, and this is very often the way authors wrote of themselves. They didn't mention themselves by name. They would write themselves in under some sort of descriptive uh, 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 attribute. And he said he was the first to recognize that this man a hundred yards away is Jesus. So Jesus now made himself clear as to who it is. He said, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. And so he comes swimming in. And why would he do this? Because he wants to get there first. I mean, it's much quicker to just jump in and swim than this boat with 500 pounds of fish behind it. Why would he put on his outer garment? Because he just had his, his undergarment. He was stripped for work. And just like if, if, I, you know, if, if I came to one of your guys' rooms and, and uh, you were walking around in your boxer shorts and I knocked and you looked through the thing and you saw it was me, you'd probably put something more on before, that, before you opened the door. And uh, um, that's just, just normal. I mean, Peter had a lot of respect. This was now the risen Lord. And uh, he throws on this outer garment and he swims to the shore. But the other disciples came in the little boat and the, and the description. This is a little boat. And they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So that when they got to the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus had already prepared breakfast for them. This is the risen Lord. You would think that now, finally, after three and a half years of teaching and instructing them, and now he's, He just died on the cross for the sins of all humanity, that now He can just kick back for a while and say, you take care of me now. I mean, now is my time. I mean, here the guy is cooking breakfast for them. They're out there fishing and Jesus is cooking. Where he got the fish? I don't, Jesus can just speak the word and the fish would come jumping out of the water. Why didn't he just have 153 fish just swim right up to the water? Because what he allows us to do is to participate in the work that he does. He allowed them to throw their net and to drag them in. He could well have had them all just jump right up on the shore without even flapping around. Just just lay out there. He could have done that. But He allows us to participate in the ministry. He allows us to participate so when we go to work every day, we can participate along with Jesus. It's not like, you know, you go to the laboratory and you just sit there and Jesus runs all your reactions for you. (laughs) He allows us to participate with Him. This is what it is. This is how He does it. And He is the one, He's already caught fish He's already got fish and he's got bread. Where he got the bread, I don't know. For all I know, he needed the bread. We don't know if he called it down from heaven or some angels delivered or maybe went to the marketplace and bought the fish and the bread. We don't know. But all we know is he prepared breakfast for them. And they get to shore. They're hungry from working all night. And he's got breakfast for them. And remember, these are young guys. 
And these aren't guys who sit behind a, you know, a little laptop all day doing this. These are, these are tough guys. I mean, these are fishermen. You want to go, go down to the shore and go mess around with some fishermen. I mean, these are tough guys. They've got hair all over the back of their hands. These are just strong guys. And they're hungry. And Jesus has breakfast for them. And Simon Peter, and, and, and Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. So Jesus has already got fish going on the barbecue. He's already got bread going. He says, bring some of the fish that you have caught. Participation is what he allows us to do. When you go to the mission field, and you will find this church to be extremely gracious, you, 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 can, you can a lot of times, if this is the place where, where God has placed you, you can, you can come and ask for help and they will often give help to go on the mission field. But don't just raise money for the mission field by getting donations from the church and from other people. Take some of what you have and participate with this. You say, well, you know, I kind of need this money to save it. I'm going on the mission field. You should support me. No, you should support yourself. That's actually the highest way. If you have the money, pay for it yourself. You should. Because Paul even said, when you're taking care of widows, make sure she's a widow indeed. Make sure she's over 60 years old and she hasn't had children that can now take care of her. She, she should have born children, but if she has children, let her children take care of her so that she doesn't burden the church and save the money for those who don't have children anymore that can take care of them. We should not unnecessarily burden the church, although the church is very gracious. We participate with what we have. Peter, uh, uh, David said, I will not offer up to the Lord that which costs me nothing. I'll not do it. He wanted to buy some land to, to have an offering to the Lord. And the guy said, look, you're King David. Just take land. I'll give it to you. Take it. He says, I'll not offer up to the Lord that which costs me nothing. I will pay the full price of the land and I'll pay the full price for your oxen to, as an offering. The guy was ready to offer it. Because we participate, we give something and it means something to us. This is why when my kids would want to go on, on mission trips, if I can afford to take them on vacations, I was paying for their mission trip. I didn't want them to burden the church. And I'm not saying you don't appeal to the church for help when you need it. They'll gladly help you on the mission trip. But do you see you participate when you can? And I'm their father and I'm talking about how important it is to go on the mission field and I shouldn't help them. They're my children. If I can pay for them to go on vacation, I can pay for them to go on a mission trip. Why burden the church? Let that money be used for someone else. I want to participate in this. Jesus allows us to participate in this. And I urge you, if you want to make this place your home, the church has this, 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 uh, uh, this watch care membership where you don't even have to release the membership from your other church, your home church. You can just come up on a Sunday and just say you want to participate while you're here in school and you fill it out. You say, why do I have to do that? Because then they can keep track of you. They can keep an eye on you in the sense of sending you things. They know that you feel some level of accountability. How do they know? If you never come up and give your name, how do they know? And then you get sick. You say, well, there was nobody here to take care of me. Well, duh, you never said a word at church. Who knows you even exist? You come and you make yourself a part. Because I think, this is Jim Tour speaking. This is not the Bible speaking. I think it's disingenuous 
for a person to all of a sudden they want to go on a mission trip and they need to raise money, you appeal to this church. When you've never made yourself in any way accountable to this church. Do you see what I mean? It's, it, it's much more proper to say, look, this is where I call my home. This is who I'm going to appeal to. Because Westview Baptist Church will support their people on mission trips. They'll do that. But not just every student in the city. They can't do that. But to those that call this church their home, they gladly do it. Very gracious. I've never seen a church as giving as this church is. But we have a responsibility in this. That's why Jesus said, you bring some of your own fish. Maybe Peter said, why should we bring our fish? That's ours. You've got your own fish. They're just... Snap your fingers and even more will come if you need more. No, Jesus said, go bring some of your fish and participate with this thing. You're growing up now. You're not little kids. You have responsibility here. He tells me, you bring some of your fish. He said, well, no, you know, that's what I got. I'm just going to eat your fish. No, he said, you bring some of your fish that you've caught. And, and then it says... It says in, 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 uh, in verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took the bread and he gave it to them and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifest to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus is here on the beach and what does he do? The first thing he does, he takes this hot fish right off the charcoal and this bread. And he puts it together, makes this, and he's handing this, he's handing the food out. I mean, this is the risen Savior. This man knows how to serve. He says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As you grow up, learn to serve. You're not little kids anymore where people are just going to do things for you. You must participate in ministry. This is what we've been called to do. And this will not end till the day you die. So how, well, how long do I have to serve? When you're dead, then you don't have to serve anymore. That's when. Or when you are incapacitated. And then you can't do it anymore. But until then, you use the strength that you have. Young men, you have strong backs, you carry baggage, you carry chairs, you carry tables. This is what you do. The first job of young men in the church was to carry dead bodies. Ananias and Sapphira, the young men, took their bodies and carried them out. That's what they did. Where we are, we learn to serve. Jesus was serving them. This is what he demonstrated to us. He said, well, Jesus, it's kind of a high place being the Son of God, you know. But he would condescend to serve others. And so you might think that you have a, a high position because, you know, now you're a sophomore, not a freshman anymore. <laughs> or whatever your position is. Learn to serve. Learn to be gracious. And it will do you very well in life because people will see that. They want to hire you. They'll want to give you promotions. Jesus serves them. Then he has this conversation with Peter. So reading in verse 15. So when he had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
He said to him, Shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. So we know from what's written below that this was Jesus took Simon Peter aside. He took him away. And now in verse 15 it says, and it talks about there's these two words for love. We, we, have, we have loved the same word for love. You know, I, I loved the breakfast this morning. I love you. I'd like to marry you. We use the same word. Um, but but uh, in other languages, it's not the case. So in Greek, it's not the case, which is what this was written in. In Hebrew, in, which, in the language it was spoken in, it's not the case either. So there's, there's this word agape or the verb agapeo. This, this, uh, uh, that, that, uh, this love, which is a love of the will. Some people say it's a divine love. No, the scripture uses both agape and phileo in the terms of, of God's love for us. But this agape, is, is a, it's a love of the will. I can even love the unlovely. It is an act of the will. Phileo is a brotherly love. How you love a friend. How I love my friend. You can't say of everybody in the world, I, I phileo you. Because I don't love them like a friend. But you could say, as an act of the will, I choose to love even the unlovely. That is the agapo, love, the verb form. And so that's what Jesus said. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Love me? Uh, um, do you agape or agapo me more than these? More than these. So he's pointing out to the other disciples, do you love me more than these? And he said, Lord, you know that I phileo you. You know that I have a brotherly love for you. He could not honestly say that he had committed. Why? Because he had just denied the Lord three times. Now he's finally being honest about the whole thing. So then Jesus said to him, tend my lambs. And that's actually what he did in the writing of 1 Peter. That's instruction to young believers. Then he said, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape or agapo uh, agapeo, me. Do you love me? This act of the will. He says, yes, Lord, I know that you phileo. Uh, he says, yes, Lord, I phileo you. So he didn't say, do you love me more than these? The second time he says, do you just flat out agape me? Do you have this act of the will? Peter said, I love you as a friend. He said to him, he, he, he said, shepherd my sheep. Shepherd my sheep means what he did in the book of Acts. He was the one who shepherded the sheep in the book of Acts. Then he said, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Do you even love me like a friend? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo. You know that I phileo. You know that I love you like a friend. And he said to him, "Tend my sheep." And uh, uh, that's what he did in Second Peter, where he took care of the adult ones. Second Peter is is, uh, is a far more advanced book than than First Peter. But why did Jesus bring him through this three times? Because it was a threefold denial, and Jesus had him go over this three times. Three times. Peter confessed, I love you, I love you, I love you. And Peter now was being very honest about the degree of his love. He wasn't sugarcoating any of this because before that denial, Peter said, I will go to death with you. And then Jesus said, this very night, you're going to not deny me three times. Verse 18, truly I say to you. So now this is what he says to Peter. Truly I say to you, 
When you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. This is an interesting passage. He said, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. And John tells us what this means. He says, by this he was, now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. When you were younger, you did whatever you want. Not anymore. Jesus says, follow me. You want to follow the Lord? You don't do what you want anymore. I'm free. Not anymore. You want to follow Jesus? Freedom comes through Him. And that's where you'll understand freedom indeed. John 8.31 says, Those Jews that believed on Him, to them He said, If you keep My word then you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So this was to Jews that already believed on Him. To the Jews that already believed in Him, He said, if you keep my word, then you are really my disciples. He makes a distinction between those who believe on Him and those who want to walk as disciples. And He said, if you walk as disciples and you keep my word, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Only through this will you really know the truth. You will know truth by submitting to His Word. He said, when you were young, you could do whatever you want. And remember, Peter's in his 20s. He's around the same age as you folks here. And he says to him, you could do whatever you want, but when you grow old, you're going to stretch out your hands. And he's signifying to Peter, we have a lot of church tradition, a lot of writings. It's not in the Bible that say that Peter also was crucified. And then on his way to be crucified, he refused to be crucified the same way the Lord was. He says, crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy to die as my Lord. He said, they're going to spread out your hands and, they're going to, and, and, and that's the way you're going to die glorifying God. What kind of death he would glorify God? Do you see that death can glorify God? I mean, I would love that. This is what we should long for. Lord, let my life glorify you. Let my death glorify you. When you're young, you do whatever you want. Before you decided to follow Jesus, you could do whatever you wanted. Not anymore. There is a devotion that we are to take on for Jesus. There is a devotion that we are to take on for Him. It might mean you're having to wake up earlier and spend time in the Word with Him. Well, this is my sleep. Not anymore. This means you go to bed at an hour where you can rise up and spend some time with Him in the morning without being utterly exhausted. When you were young, you did whatever you want. Not anymore. Not anymore. This is what He's calling us to. And He said, follow Me. This is what it's like to follow Him. This is what it's like to follow Him. And we're going to close with this. Turn, turn back to uh, John chapter 12. John chapter 12. 
And we're going to start reading from verse 26. John chapter 12, verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant also be. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant also be. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. There is honor in serving him. And we take this seriously. There are things that we do. And if we just sit on our duff and sit around all week and everybody is to minister to me and I go to that campus group and I sit there and I've done my duty by sitting there, that's wrong. You participate in some way. Do you know how to play the drums? Do you know how to hook up sound systems so that you can get there early and help set it up? You participate in some way. If you can't devote a couple of hours every week to serving the body of Christ, you're doing something wrong. If you can't commit time to preparing for a Bible study to teach other people, if that's what He's called you to do, or to serve in some role of service, it is wrong. Jesus said, follow me. If anyone wants to follow me, if anyone wants to serve me, he must follow me. He gives to us so that we can participate. Has he given you strong hands? Has he given you a back? Has he given you eyes to see? Does he give you air to breathe? Has he called you? Then serve him. This is what he's calling us to. And pray this prayer. Lord, may I serve you till the day I die and may my death glorify you. Right till the day I die. And the other thing that happens to young people is sometimes they get into this service role in, 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 uh, in college and as soon as they graduate, they're just totally lost. How do I serve? And that's why when you become integrated with the body of Christ, with the church, with the local church, you don't have to be in college in order to serve. You can serve in your local church and the capacity to give. My children, they learned how to sing. They got... Bible lessons, they got taught by other people in the church. They went through all these programs. I wasn't teaching the little kids in the church, but my children were taught. My children were cared for in the church nursery. People invested their time and their lives for free, for no payment, to take care of my children. Because we're all called to some role. There'll be a call for upward basketball, for participating in that, for serving in that way. Learn how to serve and give of yourself and see the Lord give you back many, many times over. 153 large fish. Things we don't even deserve. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the truth of it. Lord, we praise your name. Lord, I thank you because you have called us to so much more. And I pray for these young people that as they are growing up now, Father, I pray that they would take hold of Your Word and what You have for them. That they would learn to participate with You in the ministry. Father, that it's not all about them anymore. But they would see that it's all about Jesus and service to Him. And Father, that You can care for them and You can provide for them in ways that all-nighters could never do do it. Father, I pray that they would see this, see this truth in your word and take hold of it. Father, have mercy upon them. And Lord, for those here who have never bowed their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and asked you into their lives, I pray, Lord, that you draw them to you. 
and that they would say this very day, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins because I am a sinner and come into my life. Save my soul, I pray thee, O God. Save my soul for the glory of God. Amen.